Welcome to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, your guide to good food, good health, and a good life. And now, here's your host, Nutrition Network Advisor and author of the Nourishment Mindset, Dixie Huey. Happy Transformation Tuesday, y'all. Welcome to or back to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, where you can listen on Apple, Spotify, or watch it on YouTube. So if you're watching, you see that I have another guest today, and we are both ensconced in the holidays. We did not plan this. So that's one clue is to uh, the fact that I know this person very well. So we're on the same vibe. Today's guest, Dr. Elizabeth Moran, is one of Charlotte's top doctors many years in a row, most recently is this year by Charlotte Magazine. She has been the president of the Mecklenburg Medical Society. She owns Premier Gynecology in Charlotte, North Carolina, where she and her staff focus on what she will explain later as the bookends of women's health. She is also one of my absolute favorite people on this entire big, beautiful planet. She is beautiful, as you can see, kind, energetic, and a caring, a caring, close friend that I have known since our days of ballet, struggling, <laughs> our co-captaining of the Charlotte Country Day cross-country team. And the last time I saw this doctor, who is my doctor, I should say, I trust her that much. She is such a kind friend. I was insanely food poisoned by some bad pate. She was able to get me an anti-nausal nausea medication to which I replied, I can't take that. Everything comes up. And as I remember, you, you put it on my bedside table you looked at me with that face you have when you're in doctor mode and you said, I will be back in 20 minutes. If this pill is not gone, I will be inserting it rectally. So <laughs> welcome to the Nourishment Mindset. <laughs> Whatever works. So I swallowed it just so y'all know. <laughs> I, I was like, okay, I, I don't need to know you that well. And you don't need to know me that well. But thank you. I mean, who? how many of y'all have a friend like that? Wow. So welcome, Dr. Elizabeth. Thank you. So please, uh, I haven't done this before. I usually wait till the end, but I want to from now on do it before and after. So how can people find you in case they have to scoot early? Where do we, how do we get in touch with you if we want to be your patient or just follow you? Right. So we don't do a lot of social media through the office because it's very much like right now a focused medical practice. Um, but we do have a website. It's Premier Gynecology and Wellness, um, PremierGYNCLT.com. That has all of our information and links to us. Um, I've done a couple of local podcasts through Charlotte Smarty Pants. You can find some um, several uh, sessions from May of 2020, I believe is when they were published. Um, and a few other on SweatNet. And I'll make sure, Dixie, that you get the links to those if you're... Um, Yes. If any of your listeners want a little deeper dive into the menopause aspect of all this. Oh, they will. <laughs> they absolutely will. So I have not yet had a, you were my first healthcare provider. And so 
to me, as someone who works in sort of a softer area of healthcare, where I do work with patients one-on-one and sometimes in groups, um, I like to know what inspires other providers that are in healthcare. You know, why did you do this? Why didn't you, I don't know, go to New York and be a finance person or a consultant, a management consultant? What about healthcare? Well, I mean, part of it's I grew up in a medical family. Both of my parents are, they're now retired, but they have long careers as rheumatologists. And um, for anyone that doesn't know what that is, that's sort of an autoimmune specialist. And especially when they started practice in the late 1970s, there was a lot less understanding of the immune system. So even though they practiced clinical medicine for 40 years, they were constantly learning and updating their practice and doing research. And um, I always thought that that was such a cool thing, like such a cool job to learn to help people, but they were also also refining things um, along the way. So medicine came naturally to me just from exposure. And then um, I like solving problems and I, you know, I don't really like math. So, I mean, I had to do math, but I, yeah, did. I don't really math. So I like more of the the story of aspect of clinical medicine than I would probably another technical aspect. Would that be like the art part, the science and art of medicine? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I have um, I've always, since I was young, just been able to get people's stories and, and think about that. And so I think um, that kind of led me, and there are lots of different ways to be in medicine, but towards clinical medicine specifically um, was more, yeah, the getting to know people over a period of time. Excellent. Awesome. So why then, I mean, healthcare is a big old space, right? Why a physician specializing in women's health? You know, what was it, you know, cause you all go through the rotations and there's psychiatry right. and there's cardio and everything. Why OBGYN? So I get asked this a lot and the answer is not as sexy as I think people imagine it would be. Like I did not go into medical school with some passion for women's health or, um, you know, from the political aspect of that at all. Uh, honestly, what's neat about OBGYN is it's a field that has procedures and longevity of patients mm-hmm. and some, and surgery and labor and delivery is very unique. Um, so it has a variety of things that involve talking and doing. So it's not all of one or the other. And it, it's, it's really interesting. A lot of uh, physicians and training struggle deciding between OBGYN or urology or emergency medicine, all of which are kind of similar with the pace to some degree, or maybe ENT a little bit. Um, so I decided I wanted that kind of uh, mixture, but what led me towards OBGYN away from emergency was I wanted to get to know patient stories over time. I didn't like the idea of not knowing what came next. So that's how I made that decision. I love that y'all. And this is not one of those canned questions where I already know all of her answers. Cause I've known her for, uh, I'm 45. She's 44. She's younger than me, but probably known each other 40 years. I, I actually didn't know the answer to that question. So yeah, it's a real practical answer. It seemed like it would be fun. I figured whatever I went into, I could learn to do it the best I possibly could, but it seemed like it had the mix. Practical, but also you are a relationship 
person. So makes sense. Um, not a sort of in and out the door. Right. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about Premier Gynecology's patient focus, because when you hear OBGYN, you think, oh, babies, you know, but like you don't do babies. Right. So um, just for some background. Oh, oh are you ready for me? No, I just said, no, you no longer do babies. You oh, right, right. Delivered so a billion babies. <laughs> right. When I came out of residency, I started working at um, a really fast paced, full service OBGYN um, practice, you know, probably eight or 10 doctors at the time. This was office gynecology, surgery, um, labor and delivery, all of the aspects Um you know, obviously that I said before that I was interested in. And over time it became, I mean, you get older, your patient base gets older, you get more tired, you get, you know, staying up all night becomes less, you have your own family. Um, so there's some practical aspects to obstetrics that, that can be difficult, um, especially in a, with a volume, the way that my former practice had, and it started to become more and more interesting to me. Um, the, office-based gynecologic, not really problems or emergencies, but more opportunities for um, helping people feel better, for mm-hmm. wellness, for access to, uh, to a, you know, an annual preventative exam could turn into so much more. Um, but in my former environment, the way it was structured, I just didn't really have time to structure the the day um, in a way that I could give the office-based um, patients as much attention as I wanted to. Because, I mean, the truth of the matter is obstetrics, it's, you know, it's very high needs. You need a lot of staff. It, it's, you know, it's a high acuity thing. And so it's, it obviously takes them, you know, it takes the majority of the resources in most practices. Hmm. Okay. So Here, I let that go. You're, you're, you're focusing on these bookends. Tell us about the bookends. Cause I love it when right. you talk bookends. Well, we, I still see patients across the entire spectrum of, uh, we don't do pregnancy care, um, across the spectrum of ages, but our practice definitely ha- has geared towards, um, moms and daughters, sort of the adolescents and then the 40 plus crowd, the what happens when you're just growing up and what happens when you're after having children and starting to get into menopause. Um, those two groups of patients are more similar than you would think. They're both on what I call the island of misfit toys as far as their hormones, right? Both are on unsteady ground there. And then they usually live in the same household as it turns out. So <laughs> love each other. It's such a right. great So time. it's it's a it's a really fun and and the only way to really practice really good medicine, I think, is to get to know the patient's context. So there's nothing more fun than taking care of two or three generations of women, which is what we do. Cool. I love it. So what is for you most gratifying about the work that you're doing there at Premier? Well, I think uh, one thing I had not anticipated when we opened the practice, I wasn't sure how the concept was going to be received, to be honest, because there wasn't anyone else in the area that just focused on this aspect of gynecology. Um, And anyways, over time, what's very gratifying is to have the feeling that you identified a problem and there was a niche of patients that 
really appreciate the the practice being tailored to their needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been extremely gratifying. It's sort of like, okay, I was right. Uh, sorry, but true. <laughs> um, and, <that's always laughs> and then also it's, um, it's two, uh, it, our focus is on sort of difficult, challenging hormonal times in context. And um, it's really great to see people feeling better and feeling like they have more ownership over their health. That's a great feeling. Awesome. So on the flip side, what's challenging? Do you pedal? Uh, I've heard you say you don't have a crystal ball and you don't have a magic pill. I think because our focus is more integrative, um, I think you can't treat perimenopause or irregular cycles or even things like yeast infections that sound like basic gynecology. You can't really treat those things without addressing what's going on with the whole person from their stress to their sleep, to their metabolic wellness, to their um, work context, to family context. You you can't really, I mean, you can put a bandaid on the problem, but you're not really solving it per se um, or solving it to the best of your ability. So that's challenging because these a lot of times are patients that have been to their internist or to an another OBGYN and feel uh, that they weren't heard or so the patients can be quite um, it can be quite high burden on the front end. Um, But what I told my staff uh, and my partner that I brought in is devoting the work on the front end absolutely sets the stage for a better, easier relationship moving forward. And a lot of times what seem like they're going to be the most difficult patients turn out to be our favorites. You know, over time, it's just building trust. Your success stories. Well, and it makes so much sense based on what you said earlier. I mean, I've known you forever, four decades, and you are a relationship builder. You're a a loyal friend and, and, and practitioner. And you mentioned earlier about the whole stories thing. So you actually give people time to share the context, which is so rare in today's fast paced. That's right. It, in reality, it's a hard, it, it's a, there are trade-offs with that because we do accept insurance um, because that was part of my mantra going in is better. I wanted to do better things for all access. Um, and the reality of that is reimbursements go down. Um, and that does make your time more of a premium, but the way I've responded to it or the way premieres responded to it, um, which is wonderful that I have some control over that is we keep the overhead down. I don't pass along the slimmer margin to worse care. Um, I pass along the slimmer margin to fewer, better staff, a not super sexy office space, not the most you know expensive electronic record, and we just keep we just run a very tight ship. Right. Well, as I remember growing up, your parents ran a tight ship too. <laughs> so you've yeah. Got- I mean, I, the the reality is there are only so many variables you can control. You can't control time, and you can't control yourself. You know, if there's only there's only so much of me to go around is what I'm you know trying to say. So you can either increase your volume, and and but. I would prefer to do it the other way where I keep my volume at a comfortable pace and for patients and for me, and then, um, you know, kind of cheap out on some of the other bells and whistles uh, that I just think are less important. I really do. Shiny objects are, they're sort of as glamorous, but they're not really, um, they don't really last. 
And that being said, y'all, her office feels like you're going into a spa. I mean, let's be honest. Oh, it's cute. I mean, I I shopped for the artwork at Home Depot. Like, I mean, I did everything myself. (laughs) You wouldn't know, you know, and who's like, raise your hand if you're excited to get pap smear. I mean, you're going to be nervous. When I was in your office last, my blood pressure, I I, white coat syndrome. What is that? I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) I'm nervous. This is awkward. So it's a beautiful space. Your staff is so calm. You know, they clearly like what they're doing and they've been with you for a long time. So I just want the listeners and the viewers on YouTube to know that it, she's, she's being humble, but her, her place is beautiful and her people are great. So, um, so as all listeners know, and if there are any new listeners or viewers today, you know, my thing is a metabolic mission to help people either discover or rediscover vitality through real whole foods and pleasures of the table. You know, we should enjoy nourishing ourselves. This is the opposite of step and calorie counting and eating products, that sort of thing. So metabolic health, that's, that's my thing. I'm a metabolic health coach. So I would like to zone in or hone in a little bit and just ask you, because I know you see this day in and day out, you know, what effects of poor metabolic health do you see in your office? Yeah, this is a great question. And to be perfectly honest, you can't really decouple medical problems from metabolic health. Endocrine systems throughout the body all communicate with each other. And gynecology is unique um, that we women have one of the most highly tuned um, endocrine systems in the reproductive system. It is designed for reproduction. Like we think, we don't think about that now in modern times, but that's how humans made it. You know, this far was to evolve this system. And so the system is, it was an an evolutionary advantage for the reproductive system to take cues from the environment about when to when reproduction would be favorable or not. And so obviously um, all everything talks to each other. And I would say the most common uh, gynecologic problems that come, that I see that I have, that have a huge metabolic component are of course, PCOS, mm-hmm. um, polycystic. That's really has nothing to do for your listeners Um with ovaries or cysts. It's a metabolic um, dysregulation. Um, Irregular cycles, um, acne to some degree, you know, we see as can be metabolic and diet-based. In the 30s, a lot of times fertility issues. um, There's even some research now on miscarriages and, and other pregnancy issues as it relates to inflammation, which is obviously linked to metabolism. Um, And then obviously the big one, the one that really is my life's work is focusing on perimenopause and menopause as the ovary ages, um, especially in the years around when it retires, it is a proven fact. It is settled science. The cells become more insulin resistant. There is no, like, there's no arguing that. So even, um, the most in tune, Um, patients notice changes in how their system works. And so I start talking as soon as I can, but especially in the mid to late thirties about let's 
this is a fact. This is going to happen. I can't tell you exactly when, but going into perimenopause and menopause as metabolically healthy as possible is a huge advantage Mm -hmm. to keeping the wheels on the bus. So just a quick review. I'm going to give myself a quiz and you can give me an F if I deserve it. (laughs) For for listeners, you know, I'm sure the dudes out there are just like, wow. Wait till we get to the vaginal biome. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So the ovaries are are what holds the ovum or eggs that release. The ovaries are fertilized or have a period. That's right. The ovaries are the command center. Okay, the command center. And then one thing you said, um, which I would like you to just uh, define, I guess, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Tell us, tell our listeners what that is and why that's a problem. So historically in medicine, um, diseases or clusters of symptoms, let's call that, were defined by the symptoms physical symptoms and um, potentially um, lab work and and other, you know, they didn't have a lot of background knowledge of the root cause of a lot of things. So polycystic ovarian syndrome is essentially, there are a couple of phenotypes, but the most common um, is metabolic dysregulation, Mm -hmm. insulin resistance, high triglycerides, uh, central adipose, you know, weight gain. That's, um, and that's your middle folks. Your- yeah. The apple, the apple shape and a tendency towards uh, diabetes or higher, um, you know, resting glucose and the way that it manifests its that metabolic syndrome manifests itself across all organ systems. And the way it manifests itself in the GYN organ system is that the ovaries in this case are exposed to extra estrogen because the fat cells around the middle weakly produce estrogen as a byproduct. So the mm-hmm. ovaries are exposed to extra estrogen, which then um, can convert to testosterone and other byproducts. Essentially, the ovary is not sure if it's supposed to ovulate or not. It does not mean there are no eggs right. um, there at all, but they grow a characteristic look to them where they have lots of follicles that have started to mature, but haven't reached full maturity. So polycystic ovary is really the description of a phenotype that you can see on an ultrasound, but the upstream um, cause for that is metabolic dysfunction. So in my brain, which did not go through all of the bio and uh, what's the class everyone hates, organic chemistry and all the stuff that y'all did. I, I thought I was going to be a doctor too. We were at Duke together and I got weeded out the first semester when I almost failed calculus. So I didn't get to hang with her in any of those classes. <laughs> but the way that I think of PCOS, for better or for worse, um, and I am not making light of this. Um, I, you know, as a metabolic health coach, I, I want people to be vital and having a young woman with this who could have her fertility affected is not a laughing manner. So I, but I must say that in my brain, I sort of think of it as like having diabetes in the ovaries. Yeah, that's a, that's a great way to describe it. For the listeners, I do want to just define Probably there will be a revision of nomenclature um, of this over time. There really are sort of two, uh, I'm not a reproductive endocrinologist. So if anyone out there is, don't, don't, um, 
you know, kill me for oversimplifying this, but there are two syndromes. One is probably more a lean PCOS. That's probably more of a genetic um, situation. And then there's also um, a PCOS that you can grow into, if that makes sense. Yep. Sort of reminds me of, I mean, I work in diabetes care, but type one and type two diabetes. They're lumped into the same category, but that typically the lean PCOS don't have metabolic dysregulation. They just have a similar phenotype. So they've been named in the same category. Interesting. Well, that's great to hear that we're, we're further stratifying because hopefully the care can evolve and really specialize in both. Slowly, slowly, but surely Dixie, you know, medicine takes forever to catch up, but slowly, but surely, I think we're moving away from a defensive approach, like a downstream approach, naming things by, um, you know, how they manifest and more to an upstream approach about what maybe the root mechanism is or mechanisms. I love hearing that. That's music to my ears. Root cause. I hope, I hope we continue in that way. So do you, I mean, I think you've just answered my next question, but in case you have anything else to add, you know, when I drew, drew these up, I was curious, um, is there evidence of metabolic disease in the female organs? So we've already talked about the ovaries. Anywhere else? Yeah. Do you see any- well, metabolic disease, um, especially as it relates, let's clarify to the types of um, patients and interactions that you're doing, which are essentially a, um, elevated baseline blood sugar um, and kind of an elevated insulin response. So those two things together lead to a low-grade inflammation throughout the tissues at baseline. I mean, inflammatory responses are crucial for um, fighting off infection, and um, they, you know, they have a very important function. But excessive activation of that system is, you know, leads to pathological inflammation. So I just want to be clear about inflammation. I get a sprained ankle versus chronic inflammation from living in a state of fight or flight, which is essentially what metabolic dysregulation is. And anything um, that anyone living in that environment is more prone towards inflammatory conditions of an end organ system, whether that's the liver or the kidney or the neurologic system. In the case of the GYN system, think of the ovaries, uterus, fallopian tubes. They're the end product, right? They're the end of the road. Everything that's the way they're responding is happening upstream. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so active and proven, uh, I guess, whatever the research, whatever you need to, to prove it, although intuitively it makes sense, inflammatory conditions of the reproductive organs are very much linked to metabolic health. And by that, I mean, PCOS, we talked about, um, endometriosis, Ah. um, preeclampsia, gestational diabetes, um, maybe even recurrent pregnancy loss in some cases. Um, and then gynecologic tumors, uh, you know, cervical cancer, obviously it's caused, primarily by HPV, but HPV is more opportunistic to activate in an inflammatory environment. So, you know, you put all of that together and essentially every disease or problem has a metabolic component. How much depends potentially on on what you're talking about, but 
you can't really say that there's anything that's not metabolically at least reacted. There are probably some examples I'm not thinking of, but we're an organism. We're like the bears at the zoo. You know, everything talks to each other. It's not silos of of health. Right. Specialty care might be siloed, but the body. And you have to. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to put it. Well, what you just said really hit home to me. I am um, I'm a pretty open person, as you know. Um, but when you said preeclampsia and pregnancy loss, miscarriage, I mean, I know so many women, myself included, who have suffered a miscarriage, and I then had postpartum preeclampsia. I mean, this was it was you, y'all. It was Doctor Elizabeth Moran to whom I sent a photo of my foot after Fletcher was born. And I said, I think something's weird, you know, because my tummy's the only thing that's not swollen. My whole body is swollen. I got this headache, yada, yada. And she, you very calmly said, I need you to just go get your blood pressure checked. And it was through the roof. And I was a sick, sick chick. Um, But I have wondered for years, you know, was it my diet? Because I I was pregnant both times before I knew what I know now. And I, I always thought I was eating healthy. I mean, we, we can't go back in time and like beat ourselves up for past stuff, but it was very strange in my second pregnancy, how much I craved sugar. And I let myself eat it. Cause I was just like, I can have the muffin and the decaf mocha. I'm like, I haven't gained much weight, but like, I'll never know. Well, I think it's important to remember that all disease is a systemic problem that manifests itself in a certain organ system. I mean, from to breast cancer to PCOS or whatever we want to say. And very infrequently, is there a single Mm. cause for any sort of problem? It's multifactorial. There's a lot of ingredients baked into the cake probably some genetic, some environment, some metabolic, some environmental, some luck, some age, which obviously is a cumulative risk factor. So, you know, had, you know, now what, you know, then, you know, it, I don't think that that would have prevented your genetic predisposition towards preeclampsia. Um, It might have made an impact, but maybe not. So I think that's important to know. Obviously, I would always default the way I counsel patients is we never know it's around the corner. So going into the great unknown in the best capa- in the best capacity we have for our body to work the way it's supposed to is just an advantage. Yeah. Well said. Well, darn, I can't spend a bunch of money on therapy, which I've already done. (laughs) All right, let's go to, uh, I think uh, I was telling uh, Dr. Moran that I'd never said the word vag on the nourishment. (laughs) Vag, vag, vag. Is there a vaginal biome? And if so, how can we help it flourish? Fabulous. So vaginas are just a mucous membrane. (laughs) So, so is your mouth. And in some ways, so is your GI tract. Essentially, all of these orifices communicate from the inside and the outside of the body. So let's just put that out there that obviously if the gut has a biome and the mouth has a biome, the vagina has a biome as well. All of those different body parts serve different functions. So their biome has evolved to be favorable over time in different ways. Um, But you know, absolutely the vaginal um, environment 
specifically likes to have a pH that's acidic. And that is uh, made up mostly of lactobacilli and fewer organisms that are called anaerobes or aerobic bacteria. So a lot of times I'm just getting the organisms out of the natural organisms out of balance leads to symptoms that then patients recognize as a possible yeast infection or bacterial vaginosis, et cetera. Um, but all that really means is that a normal or almost always I'm qualifying all of this because of course there, there are strange exceptions, but really that's not an infection from yeast. Typically that's a yeast is opportunistically taking advantage of an environment that allows it to grow. Um, so yes, obviously the vaginal biome is extremely important and everyone, at least in my practice is counseled to focus on their gut health. Usually those two things go together, their endocrine systems and they function together, but also, um, I'm a huge proponent of vaginal, uh, health probiotics, whether oral or vaginally, especially for, for women who have frequent infections or irritation, things like that. So, I mean, we talked about rectal insertion in the intro. Um, are these vaginal probiotics? Uh, Listen, they have both. You can have smaller. vaginal, you can have probiotics compounded from a compounding pharmacy into a suppository. You can buy oh. suppositories, you can buy a gel the, they also come in oral capsules. Some probiotics will say for women's health. I mean, a lot of this is all different ways to get to the same thing. So like the case with almost everything else that you deal with, Dixie, there's not one solution to this. There's not one perfect way to do it. It's mostly what, what the patient's able to do. And there, you know, probiotics are more important in certain contexts. Adolescents are more prone to irritation and yeast infections and things like that because their hormones are just getting organized. And so they have some natural disruptions and then perimenopausal women and menopausal women can be more prone because their hormones are also disorganized. And the vagina obviously is a hormonally sensitive organ. I mean, when I say hormones here specifically, I mean, estrogen, progesterone. Right. Well, as you know, um, some of the listeners know, uh, I, I can have a sense of humor as a teenage boy. So I just have to come back to, you know, fun with orifices. She said it, <laughs> first, but you know, whichever orifice you want to take your probiotic, that's up to you and your maker. That's right. I mean, and remember ladies out there, the vagina can take a joke. I mean, think about <laughs> what it goes through. I mean, it's okay. Right, right. We don't need to micromanage the vagina. Something to support Vaginal health, if you're prone to infection or you're perimenopausal, is helpful. Balancing the pH with in menopause with hormone topically sometimes can be helpful, right? Watching your diet, getting getting rest, all the things that keep you healthy across the board will keep your vaginal biome healthy. Avoiding uh, scented soaps and spritzes and buffers and puffers and all of this that is just counterproductive because it washes away the good bacteria. So just let her be. All right, cool. So let's say you have, um, I'm just going to pick on a hypothetical patient that I think you might see, you know, she's, uh, we're, we'll give her about 48 years old. She's gained about 20 pounds. She's uh, got her adolescent daughter bitching at her. She's not feeling so sexy with the hubby. Like she just, 
doesn't feel good. Like she comes in, she's like, I've gone to three other doctors. I feel like shit. I think my hormones are messed up. That's why I gained weight. What what do you do? (laughs) Well, first I listen, I listen to what she says and she, and and she's not wrong. I mean, by definition at 48 or really over 40 or any age. Yeah. Her hormones are at play. It may not be her quote unquote reproductive hormones at certain um, that are the, that are the culprit, but uh, I listen to everyone and I have a protocol that gathers data. I like a set of fasting labs, you know, listening to the patient is huge, of course, fasting labs, but it also checks metabolic and inflammatory and autoimmune markers because those are very frequently baked into the cake here. So then we make, you know, we make a lab follow-up and we review it. And then the way I approach it is with some targeted, uh, first of all, information with data, some resources about, um, you know, diet and, and I have curated some things over time, some targeted supplements. And then obviously we talk about, um, prescriptions as a, that should sort of be the, the cherry on top. Very frequently, they, these, fem- these women are right. They are hormonally out of balance because their ovary is aging that, and they cannot control that. Then that is, that is completely true. And, um, but that has led to a downstream of metabolic inflammation, elevated glucose, all of these things work together. And so then it becomes unpacking that and really, I really educate my patients that there's no magic wand. All we can do is put some scaffolding on the building, right? (laughs) But I I don't make the rules. The building is going to undergo a renovation, you know, so I can help support that, but ultimately the responsibility for the renovation is on the patient. Right. Excellent. Okay. Um, I know that you, I mean, you're, I'm in awe of your, the way you've developed your practice and your, you know, the, what it feels like to be a patient and your, your knowledge base, et cetera. So we can't go into everything, but for our listeners and viewers, Dr. Moran, um, you know, knowing that this is the Nourishment Mindset podcast, what's your what's your takeaway in terms of how people in general and women in particular should approach their health? You know, as we are aging, you know, we're not kids anymore. I highly doubt there's 16 year olds listening to this. But like, what do we need to know from the from the physician's perspective? How do you wish people would right <laughs> act? Well, the or- way I look at it is that we are mammals like the bears at the zoo. There are rules of physiology and smarter people than I have have figured out a lot of those rules and connections. And patients also don't make the rules. You know, they don't, we're not in charge of a lot of this, but getting your feelings separated from the reality of where you are is a really important step. So the woman hypothetically that you described before, she's already really caught up in her feelings. I'm imagining about all of these things. Um, And so reassuring her that she's not crazy. Mm. There are some real hormonal things going on and we can mitigate that, but it takes defining it and it takes a change in mindset about how to approach health. And I'd also wish patients would hear um, and, and, remember that health is made up of years, which is made up of months, 
which is made up of days, which is made up of hours, which is made up of individual decisions. There, Every little thing that you do over time is adds up, but you can also start from wherever you are and those changes. It is not sexy. It's not an easy button. These rapid transformations and all this is just very unusual. It's really much more tedious to take care of your health, but if you do it, then it becomes more natural. So I think getting feelings separated, defining reality where we are now, and then talking about ways we can mitigate it. Right. Great. That I love that because on one hand, it's like, okay, I mean, we've all made, I usually call them um, deposits and withdrawals into yeah. health. And the That's more a good way to look at it, you make, you got some withdrawals, you know, the Christmas cookie. Um, but if you're not making any deposits, you ain't got nothing to withdraw. You got an empty bank account. So I love that because it goes both ways. You could see that as a, as a uh, buddy, the elf mug uh, <laughs> is half empty or half full because right now your next nourishing meal or the next walk you take or the next set of weights you haul around, you're making that investment. Yeah. I like the, I like the bank account analogy. Um, that's a good one, you know, to help understand how that is cumulative over time. Um, and, and I find most patients, if you can help them feel like they understand the rules, then they're willing to at least think about playing the game. The reason people are confused is there's too much noise. There's too little concentration on big picture and there's too much judgment, frankly. Yes. Right. And that's something that just drives me up the wall when it comes to patients who receive a, you know, a type two diabetes diagnosis, because it's insinuated, if not stated that, you know, you just ate too much and you didn't yes. move enough. And it's like, it's so much more complicated than that. And there's so much shame in that. And I can imagine in, you know, it could be similar in some of the, you know, like PCOS or other things like, you know, it, it's not, it's not that anyone sets out to become sick, you know, that's, but it's the reality thing that you said, this is where we are. So what's the new game and how do we play it? And I love yeah. that. analogy. You just have to define reality and meet people where they are. Awesome. So remind us again, how to find you. Well, um, the best way to find us is online. Our practice website is premiergynclt.com. Sorry, it's a little bit of a mouthful. Um, we are in Charlotte, North Carolina, located um, kind of between the Eastover and Myers Park neighborhoods on Randolph Road. Um, certainly, we can put a link maybe to the website in the be in the show notes or something at the bottom. Um, we don't really have much social media because we're a clinically focused practice, um, but uh, absolutely. You can email us through the portal. We have a portal online, even if you're not a registered patient and, and want to talk about something, we can absolutely try to, you know, see what we can do. Thank you. Thank you so much. So y'all, please, please, please share with people who might be interested. I would love reviews. I'm still new. So anyone who is uh, bodacious, enough to, to put a review on Apple, Spotify of this podcast, um, I will give a free copy signed of my Nourishment Mindset book, B 
being launched in early 2023. It could even be a shitty review. I mean, I can learn (laughs) from that. I'm not saying I need a five-star review. I have to earn those, right? Also, I invite you to submit questions to me. If you have a show topic or even a guest you'd like me to interview, I would love to do that. I got to put those 20 years of PR to work. Um, There's one thing we haven't done yet. So I have one rule on this podcast, Dr. Moran. And that is every episode I got to shit on seed oils. And often it just comes up seed and vegetable oils. But y'all, I'm going to leave you with this reminder. It's the second episode I did. I talked about getting your fats right. The number one thing from this metabolic health coach's uh, perspective that you can do to elevate your health now Stop making those withdrawals. They're not worth it. Start making the deposits. Get the fats right. Avoid the vegetable and seed oils. Please. It's so good for you. It's impossible to do it 100%, but just don't keep them in your house. And that's like half the battle. So anyway, bravo, doctor. Thank you so much for everything. Dixie, it's so good to see you. I wish we were in the same town. I know. I still owe you a visit. (laughs) Thanks for coming.